0: Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word Give us ears to hear you truth and eyes to see the need to round us as we draw.
1: God knows those who are His. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Guys, if I have full confidence that I am a child of God, I can then have confidence to call out to my Father in heaven and ask for anything according to His will. Don't forget that last part, anything according to His will. It's not, I'm going to ask Him for anything I want.
0: Come boldly to the throne of grace. Today, Pastor David teaches you about the confidence a child of God has. As children of God through Christ, you can come boldly to Him as your father. Pastor David teaches you that as God's child, you can have full confidence to call on the Father for anything. When you ask in his name and according to his will, it will be given to you. Remember to acknowledge and ask for his will in all things, not just what you would like. Praise God for being a good father. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 5 as he continues his message that you may know.
1: All things had to become new within that caterpillar she had to become a new creature no longer a caterpillar and guess what a butterfly is never able to go back to being a caterpillar either oh I failed as a butterfly I'm gonna to have to go back as a caterpillar now no it doesn't happen as a matter of fact she's gonna give birth to other caterpillars that will need to go through metamorphosis just like we that next generation they, they don't go on our salvation. Your children don't go on your salvation. Your grandchildren don't go on your salvation. Each generation is on their own. They have to go through that metamorphosis. They have to go through that change, that change. Old things passed away, no longer the same. They have to become new creatures. She, we have to be, just as that caterpillar, we have to be changed by the very hand of God. We live our life to the glory of God. Why? Because God's glory now resides in us that's why we live our life for his glory not in order to gain his pleasure guys his pleasure was for us while we are still his enemies that's the greatness of his love we live our life for him we purposefully choose to die to self then the spirit of god takes over our lives Not a work of the flesh, but a work of his spirit because we have become the children of God. How? By the grace of God through faith in the son of God. And our filthy works before God raise up a stench. I'm going to gain God's favor. No, God's favor is already yours. Serve him because of the greatness of his love for you. Not in order to gain it. You need to know it's there. Verse five, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Guys, we, we, we can't do that on our own. And many of us have the scars to prove it, amen? We cannot overcome the world on our own. Many of us have tried a variety of different ways. And man, we, we, just like that caterpillar, we keep splatting on the ground. We keep falling back to the ground. Why? Because we're trying to do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we overcome the world. Let's move on. John, again, now, he, he comes back to that whole idea of the doctrine of Christ. Verse six. This is he, speaking of Christ, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. Bear with me here as I read through this, and you'll understand why in a moment. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. In verse 8, there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. How many of you got lost in a portion of that passage? Okay. Uh, Let me just address the elephant in the room real quick. Some of your Bibles will read a little bit differently than, than what I just read. Some of your Bibles actually have, that you, you, they've either removed what would have been verse seven, or they've italicized it, or they've shoved it over in the margin. My, my version in verse seven says, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That's what my new King James says. King James Version also, and I believe a few other versions say that. Some of your Bibles will have it without making any kind of a mention of the conflict of that verse, but let me warn you. If you feel that you now, wow, that's that's the proof I've needed of the Trinity. It's, it's right there, that the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and they're all three one. That's, that's the proof of the Trinity. Well, uh, you run off, you tell that to your Jehovah's Witness or your LDS friends uh, to try and prove the Trinity, you're going to find out pretty quick you're sadly mistaken because it's that, that verse actually was most likely put in a later edition of the text. There's a lot of reasons I can go in to say that. It does not lessen the truth of the Trinity that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. But this one little passage here in John, First John, Chapter Five, the best scholarship, the best of biblical historians, believe that this was probably added later, during a, later in time than when the it was during the time that the Greek text had, was being translated into the Latin. It's what's called the Johnine comma, the Johnine comma, and to quote one of the uh, uh, scholars, he said, "It should be noted." that not only does the manuscript evidence strongly favor the omission of that passage, but the same is true concerning the testimony even of the early church. Not one Greek or Latin church father in the early years ever quotes that passage up in the first four and a half centuries. For 450 years, they they've never quoted that. And we have a lot of writings from church fathers of that time. And he says here, this is especially revealing in light of the many controversies revolving around the Trinity. In fact, they were battling for the doctrine of the Trinity in those 450 years. It would have been only reasonable to say, no, this is is what John says right here, that there are three in heaven that agree, the the Father and the Word and, and the Spirit, and these three are one. Why wouldn't they use that? Well, the understanding is very Possibly it was added later. If the Johnine comma was a part of the original text, then what would have been a better passage to quote in order to prove the Trinity? Again, your version may have it, it may not, it may have it as a footnote, may have it in the margin. But the three that do bear witness are the spirit, the water, and the blood. Now, everything from the testimony of God the Father, from the baptism of Jesus, and even later on, we hear him say, this is my beloved son. Most will say that that, the three that are bearing witness, the water, is from his baptism, even as the Father said, this is my beloved son. The very fact that the Holy Spirit came down and anointed him for ministry, his ministry began. Right at the baptism, some believe no that that speaks of human birth, again, speaking of the humanity of Christ, that the water just like as a as a uh, a child is is born, that water pocket bursts open uh, again, that water being it, the blood being his crucifixion, so and of course, the spirit as the spirit led him, directed him, so again. We can look at these things. The fact is, is the testimony of Christ still remains true. All of these testify, they bear witness to the truth of Christ. Verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness within himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given to or of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So again, once again, I don't care how sincere, how devout, how honest, how moral an individual is, there is only one way to the Father. There is only one road of salvation, and that's through the Son of God through Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer here tonight, and your mind is saying, oh, yeah, that that's nice. I know you have to say that, pastor, because you're a pastor of a Christian church. Guys, if it weren't true, I wouldn't say it, because I've got a lot of family members that are not Christian, but they're good, moral people. The sad reality is their eternity, destiny, is hell, because they have yet to turn to Jesus Christ. I've been in foreign countries on the other side of the world and you see good moral people in a, in a structure of ritualism or, or religion and they're very caring and very gentle. And you think, you know, but if you don't know Jesus, your destiny is an eternity in hell. Guys, if that's not true, if that's not absolute in your life of knowing that for certain, you will be led astray, you will be deceived and you're 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 messed up even now in your doctrine because you're trying to you're you're trying to pull these things together in your 21st century mindset you're trying to pull this together of middle america of of hey you know can't we all get along kind of a thing but you're talking about the reality of the great god of all creation who has a plan who has a purpose and he has had that plan and purpose for all eternity he did not send his son to die for a portion of the people. He sent his son in order that the world might come to salvation, in order that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. It's not a Western religion, it's not a Jewish religion, it's, 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 it is the truth of God's word. And in every country, in every translation, If you take away that reality, you take away the reality of the word of God and you lessen that truth and you make God a liar. To believe that there's another way that God offers some variety of plans for those that might be, well, they're just ill-informed or, you know, they refuse to accept Christ. Uh, John says you're, you're calling God a liar because his word declares that very same truth, not just here in John but all throughout the word of God. And it says this without compromise. It says it without excuse. There is only one way, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Once we come to that reality, once we come to that acceptance and that commitment, John wants us to know that we can then, we can fully and completely depend upon God to fulfill the promise of his salvation. I I only trust. I can only trust in Jesus. There is no other way. And that's when God says, I'm glad you're finally out of the way, and I can do my work in and through you now. In this not only great assurance, because, guys, if I'm trying to do it on my own, wow, what happened last week? Oh, there goes my assurance. If I'm trying to do it on my own, oh, man, you know, the the attitude I had, the thoughts that I had, the action that I did, well, that, that blew that. But that is neither it is it an excuse to say, Jesus paid it all, I can live any way that I want. You've got to understand that John is saying, no, there is a moral test, and if you're not passing that moral test on a regular basis, then you need to examine. When we have that assurance, we have the boldness. When we have that boldness, then we can stand strong against the enemy and we can stand strong in faith. That's why John writes in 13, the most powerful verse, I believe, at least in John, and one of the most powerful verses, I believe, it within the word of God. John says, these things I have written to you, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Guys, I believe that is the epitome of John's message. That's the validation. That's the confirmation of the reality of our faith. Have we passed the doctrinal test? Do we believe who Jesus really is? Have we seen the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in our lives as we live out our lives working out through that morality test? Are we living like children of the king rather than children of the devil? Doesn't mean that we're not going to blow it on occasion. I fully understand that. But I'm talking within the process of things. You know, even that butterfly lands on the ground every once in a while. But you know what? That's not their abode. Their abode is the air. Your abode is not the ground, guys. Your abode is glory. That's hope. Is there progress? in your love and your acceptance of brothers and sisters in the faith, even if their worship is different than ours, even if their church administrations and how they run things is different than ours, even if they baptize differently than we do, even if they preach, no, as long as they preach, Christ crucified and salvation is found through nothing less than and nothing added to faith in that completed work of the resurrected and the ascended Christ, all that was done on the cross of Christ is sufficient for our sin, then I need to see them as a brother or a sister in Christ. And I need to demonstrate that relationship by love for one another. Calvary Chapel is not the only one in heaven. Are you kidding me? I sometimes wonder how many of them are going to make it us. The body of Christ is much wider than many times what the church might think it is, but it's a lot narrower than what the world might think it is. The world looks at everybody that comes in through the doors and says, well, those are all Christians. And it doesn't matter what the shingle says. It doesn't matter what the doctrine is. It doesn't matter what they teach and how they live. They say that they're Christians. And the world looks at that and lumps us all together but God knows those who are his. Verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Guys, if I have full confidence that I am a child of God, I can then have confidence to call out to my father in heaven and ask for anything according to his will. Don't forget that last part. Anything according to his will. It's not, I'm going to ask him for anything I want. Man, I've asked for a lot of things in life. You just praise God for no answers. That's usually in retrospect. I believe it was Augustine that made a mind-boggling statement. I've shared it with you before. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then go do whatever you want. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then go do whatever you want. Amen? Some are saying no, some are saying no. Let me ask you this. If I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, what do I want to do? I want to please him. That's the understanding that he says. You love God with everything you are, you're not going to screw up too bad. You may stumble once in a while, but you're not going to live and mess up and if we do verse 16 if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death there is a sin leading to death and i don't say that he he should pray about that all unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death so let's close in prayer no no don't leave me there there's a lot of different ideas of what that sin that hey don't pray about that sin don't don't worry about that and I believe in the context of both what we see throughout the whole New Testament with what we see with the, with the heart of Christ what we see with the message of the disciples we not pray about that what is he saying do we not pray for that individual uh, we 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 pray for the lost why wouldn't I pray for somebody some well, that sin that that you don't pray for it It has to be some kind of a great heinous sin, something that's not covered by the blood of Christ. I don't know of any sin that's not covered by the blood of Christ other than refusal to accept the blood of Christ. Some say it is the sin of rejection or that refusal of the wooing of the Spirit of God. Uh, what, uh, again, uh, Jesus even referred to as a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, a hardening of the heart beyond repentance. And we actually see that throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and New. We, we see Pharaoh hardening his heart, hardening his heart, hardening his heart, until finally that's it, we're done. We see that uh, rich young ruler that, that came to Jesus. Jesus said, this is what you need to do. And the dude turned around and walked away. And Jesus went running after him and said, wait, wait. No, that's not what he did, did he? The guy went away sorrowful because he cared more about his riches than he cared about eternal life and following Jesus. What can you do with that? You're so into yourself. He said, I'm not praying about your pride. I'm praying about you. And you just got to be changed. Some say this is actually a sense of the unsaved versus the sins of the saved. Individual sins of the unsaved, that's not the issue. Their Individual sins are not the issue. The issue is salvation. The issue is a change of heart. And possibly that's what it is. It's a difficult passage. We don't have time to go into a whole lot of it. Let me, again, finish up. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And I just love these last words. You've got an old pastor writing to his church. He says, little children, Keep away from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Any hands? You don't sin anymore? What does he mean by that? Does not sin. When he says does not sin, I'm not cheapening the word of God. I'm not trying to twist it to make it say anything that it doesn't. But does not sin deals with the fact of habitual, ongoing, unrepentant, without sorrow, without grief, sinful lifestyle. If you are born of God, you will not be living that way. If you are living that way and believing that you can pretend before God, before his people, well, you can pretend before his people all day long, but you will never pretend before God. The amazing thing is, is God doesn't punish immediately. Sometimes I wish he would. Just whack me now before I get deeper into this thing. If the child of God has a Holy Spirit abiding within him, the Spirit of God is grieved when we walk in sin. And the true child of God will truly do all that he can to break those bondages, break those chains, to break those habits, to break those situations that draws him continually back into something that he knows is offensive to his God. That he knows is grieving the spirit of God. That he knows is contrary to the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit continues to nag at our heart. Now I say nag now, it's the wrong word. He continues to woo us. Don't go there. Don't go there. Look, over here is the way. Walk in it. Think on these things. Whatever is just, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Think on these things. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit will do. And hey, you know, you need to forgive him. I know he did wrong, but you need to forgive him. Guys, if that Holy Spirit isn't in there wooing, I think that's when we come to that point where Paul says, examine yourselves. See if you're really in the faith.
0: Would you like to listen again to today's message? You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David in The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss the latest edition of the program. Right now, let's
1: check back in with Pastor David for an invitation. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and the love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The teachings you've been listening to here were originally messages I shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Do you happen to live in this area? If so, please come join me this weekend for a time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and just getting to know one another through fellowship. You'd be able to find all the information you need, the service times and directions too, at our website, theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel Casa Grande link at the bottom of the page. See you there.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word as well. Would you pray for us? We know the enemy isn't happy about the truth of the gospel being spread and he's going to do all he can to stop us. Please pray for all of us here that we'd keep our eyes only on Jesus all the time. Would you also join us in praying for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts would be open to the gospel and that lives would change. Thanks for partnering with us in this. And thanks for listening to The Open Word. Make us whole.